Welcome to your Canadians Connection on Rocket Sports Radio. This premier hockey podcast featured on allhabs.net brings you the latest news, in-depth analysis, and expert commentary about the NHL's most storied franchise, the Montreal Canadiens, with your hosts, Joe Whalen and Rick Stevens. Our team of credentialed journalists provides behind-the-scenes insight on the Canadians, designed to inform, entertain, and engage Habs fans around the globe. We are proud to be the trusted source for all things Habs for more than a decade. This is the Canadians Connection Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Canadians podcast here on the Rocket Sports Radio, keeping you informed, engaged, and uh, entertained. Today is August 8th, and my name is Chris G, sitting in for Joseph Whalen, and I'll be your host for the next hour. And a reminder, you can follow me on Twitter at ChrisHabs360. This is episode 96 of the Canadians Connection podcast, and I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by the founder and president of Rocket Sports Media, the editor-in-chief, Rick Stevens. And Rick, hockey's back. Canadians are in the playoffs. What a great week. What an amazing week. And uh, Chris, w- welcome back. Uh, you you picked the right episodes to uh, to join us. Glad that you're in the chair. And and um, wow, what a, a stunning development. What an unbelievable... We, as we, we, we both were kind of stunned uh, after the game last night, the Canadians... Beat the mighty Penguins and moving on to the playoffs, just unbelievable. Yeah, I never imagined we, that we'd be chatting about Canadians in the playoffs in the month of August. It's just uh, just incredible. So it's a jam-packed show, like it is every week. Coming up in today's episode, we're going to tackle a couple of questions. There's about eight questions that uh, Joseph and Rick posed last week ahead of game one of the series, and we're going to see how those things played out. And there was a couple of new questions that came out from the series that we'll discuss in segment two. And we're going to have some audio from the series as well, news and notes from across the league, and obviously there's a lot, a lot more. But before we get into the recap of the series, Rick, why don't you tell our listeners how they can interact with us? Well, you can interact with us in many, many ways. Uh, you can certainly reach out to us on uh, social media, um, on Twitter, uh, on uh, Facebook, on Instagram. Our Facebook page is on fire. Uh, well over 40,000 fans, uh, hockey fans, interacting, and uh, we're, we're happy to interact with you. Um, the other way, of course, is is to uh, send us a text, um, and we have a Rocket Sports text line set up for you, 5853-ROCKET, 5853-ROCKET. And uh, this, this is uh, an exciting time to be a Habs fan, and we want to uh, connect with you. Yeah, so go ahead and join all the social media platforms. There's Everything is on fire since uh, yesterday when it's related to uh, the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, let's do a quick recap of the series uh, because, well, last Saturday when the the, the show between uh, Joseph and Rick, well, it was ahead of game number one. And, well, that game number one started with a Canadiens 3-2 victory over the Pittsburgh Penguins. They took a one nothing lead uh, in the series. And Pittsburgh started the game strong. 
with a 10-1 to shot on goal lead. So it wasn't looking good for the Canadians. But they still managed to take a 2-0 lead, which ended up blowing. They sent the game to overtime where Jeff Petrie scored the game-winning goal. Game number two was on Monday. And the Pittsburgh Penguins tied the series at one with a 3-1 victory. The Penguins took a 2-0 lead until the Esperica Kanyemi scored with 2 minutes 10 remaining. But then the Penguins scored an empty net goal to win by a score of 3-1. On Wednesday, for game number three, Canadians took a 2-1 lead in the series with a 4-3 victory. In a game where the Penguins took a 3-1 lead, and then the Canadians scored three unanswered goals to come back for the win, game-winning goal was scored by, this is not a repeat, it's Jeff Petrie. And then on Friday, game number four, the Canadians did the unthinkable. They beat the Penguins by a score of 2 to nothing. Arturi Lekkonen opened the scoring with only four minutes remaining in the third period. It was a scoreless game up to that point. And then Shea Weber sealed the game and the series with an empty net goal. So the Canadians go on to win 3-1 to in the series. And they're going to face the winner of uh, the game between Tampa Bay Lightning and the Philadelphia Flyers in the qualifying, sorry, in the round robin, I should say. That's uh, scheduled for 8 p.m. Eastern on Saturday night. So it's quite, uh, quite some hockey that we saw between the, the Canadians and the, uh, the Penguins. We're going to kick it off and start tackling some of the questions that were posed last week. Uh, the first one we're going to tackle that was asked was, can Carey Price steal the series? We all knew that if Montreal had a chance to win against Pittsburgh, that it was going to be because of Carey Price, that he had to to perform, and, well, he did. He delivered. He was the best player of any of both teams, regardless of the position during that series. 39 saves in game number one, 35 saves in game number two, 30 saves in game number three, and in game number four, he recorded his sixth career playoff shutout, which made him pass Gary McNeil and Patrick Waugh, and he tied George Hainsworth for third in Montreal Canadiens history. And he finished with a 167 gold against average and a 947 save percentage. And he looked confident. He was always in position. And while it was reported uh, before the series started, as the NHL was preparing the return to play plan that Pittsburgh didn't want to face the Canadians in a short series because of Carey Price, and while Carey Price showed why Pittsburgh felt that way. And Rick, I don't remember the last time that over a four-game stretch, there was no Habs fans on social media, whether it's Twitter or anything else, that that never complained about a goal that Price allowed. It seems unanimous that Price played to an elite level in the series. Yeah, the, it was it was unanimous that um, Carey Price uh, was was dominant. He was utterly dominant. Uh, every single game. Um, the, the funny thing is uh, the game four, the, the game that uh, maybe he had the least impact on, uh, he got a shutout. I mean, it's, you know, he was, he was that good uh, throughout. And um, last week when we asked the question, um, can Carey Price steal the series? There was, you know, we looked at quotes from a lot of the analysts who said, well, maybe he can steal a game. 
Um, you know, uh, with a pens analyst said he's, he's magnificent, but, uh, you know, he's only one guy. Scotty Bowman said, uh, he'll keep it close, but, um, you know, goaltenders can only do so much. Well, everybody was wrong. We now know the answer to that question. Can Carey Price steal a series that the, the, the answer is, is yes. Um, you know, the, the Penguins, when you look at from the eye test, when you look at, uh, advanced stats, shot quality, all of that. Uh, the Penguins uh, dominated for the first three games, um, a lot more even in, in in the fourth game, and it was Carey Price that was um, indeed the difference. Um, just just remarkable, remarkable goaltending. Um, you know, at, at, at 9.47 save percentage, 9.60 when, when you look at uh, the five-on-five play, and uh, yes, he has carried the the Montreal Canadiens to the playoffs. And well, if the Canadiens want to make any kind of run in the playoffs, he'll he'll definitely have to continue playing uh, that way if the Canadiens want a chance. Uh, let's go on to to the next uh, to another question that was asked last week, and the question was asked: Who will be the difference maker for the Canadians or the Penguins? And Rick, I'll let you tackle this one first. Well, for for the Canadians, I think um, based on question one, uh, the difference maker was obviously Carey Price, um, and and um, I th- I think everybody would agree going into this series that Price was going to have to be um, the the difference maker if. Uh, uh, the Montreal Canadiens pulled off the miraculous upset, which they did. And and make no mistake, that it was uh, a stunning upset. Um, at the pause, the Canadian uh, the uh, Penguins had a ninety nine percent chance of making the playoffs, and now they're they're not there. Uh, the Canadians had a zero point one percent chance of making the playoffs, and now they're. Um, entering playoff action next week. So Carey Price uh, was the difference maker. Now, if we look beyond that, uh, kind of a, an unexpected difference maker, uh, I think you have to look at, um, uh, you know, uh, in in order, probably Paul Byron. And um, I mentioned him last week that I was expecting Paul Byron to have a, an impact. Paul Byron, uh, Arturi Lekkanen, every shift Arturi Lekkanen, uh, was uh, making something happen. He was good on on uh, the the defensive side. He was good on the PK, uh, and he was uh, a monster, as as Dan Robertson pointed out uh, on the forecheck, uh, making things happen, creating turnovers. And yes, Barry Kotkaniemi came out of nowhere uh, to uh, uh, have a physical impact on the on the series. Um, and even so much as uh, to um, to move up uh, to take over the, the the second line spot, second line center spot. So um, I would say uh, Byron Lekkonen, Kakinen, Byron and and Lekkonen in particular. Um, you know, wh- whichever center they played with, whether it was uh, Kakinemi or Dano, uh, they made them better. And uh, when you look at again the advanced stats uh, uh, from places like Charting Hockey. Uh, the the line that that Byron and Lekkonen were on uh, was not only the best line on the Canadians, but the best line in the in the um, uh, qualifying and round robin. They were the best line in in uh, the play-in. Yeah, I agree. Those are excellent choices. The the highlights 
that I that I think I'll remember from Lecklin from this series was actually in uh, game number four on Friday, where he was in a battle behind the net, the Penguins' net, and he ended up on his was on his stomach. He was on the ice, and he still won the battle, and he got up, and he still had maintained possession of the puck. So that was um, uh, um, something that stood out to me when uh, for Tur Lecklin. Uh, his breakout Kanyemi, I think too, he had a great series, scored a pair of goals as well. He looked engaged, uh, throwing body checks around as well. And well, okay, well, we'll talk about him a little bit more in details later. But on Jeff Peter on the offensive side with two game winning goals, mm-hmm. you know, he was a difference maker with uh, with those two game winners. Quite, um, it was quite surprising when uh, he had scored both game winning goals for. Um, for the Canadians through uh, three games. Uh, we'll address more of the questions in our big topic segment, uh, in the, the second segment of the program. But now let's move on to a regular feature here on the Canadians Connection, the They Said What segment, and Rick, you collected some audio from us from uh, from the series. Sure did. I, I collected audio uh, all week and then uh, last night threw it all out uh, because the only audio that mattered was uh, the audio after last night's game uh, from both uh, Canadians and Penguins. Uh, first up was Carey Price and, and um, we talked about uh, all of the analysts uh, last week. We talked about all the analysts, uh, you know, obviously picking the Penguins, um, I think there was only one on the the uh, the Montreal media side who picked the uh, Montreal Canadiens, and that was done in kind of a mocking fashion, I think. Uh, but uh, I, I think that Carey Price here says that the team used that uh, to their uh, advantage. Yeah, we were definitely all motivated going into this series. Nobody was giving us a, a prayer to beat them, and that definitely played a factor into it. And um, you know, I thought we all took it with a grain of salt and, and went out there and just tried to prove everybody wrong. So the Canadians had that, uh, you know, uh, uh, all us against the world kind of mentality and uh, and use that to come together in this bubble and uh, uh, bring the team together and, and uh, beat the, the Penguins. Um, then it was time for Shea Weber, Captain Shea Weber, to uh, to tell us what he thought awkwardly um, about Carey Price because Carey was sitting right next to him at the press conference table at the time. But uh, here's what he said. Just having him back there is, uh, he's the backbone for us. I mean, he's so solid every night and that allows us to, to play and uh, with confidence, not be worried about, uh, you know, giving up chances. And obviously we want to maintain uh, the structure that we've had that Carey talked about. We were a lot tighter than maybe we have been in the past. And I think knowing having him back there and um, the way he plays the pucks on dumps and the rebound control he had in the series really helped uh, not only the back end, but I think everybody. So Kerry had an effect uh, not only in the saves he was making, but helping out his defense by being a moving the puck and, and, uh, and being that extra defenseman back there. Uh, But you heard Shea Weber also talk about the structure uh, and um, uh, that's something that Chris Letang noticed. Uh, he called the Canadians a very balanced team. When, when the puck dropped, uh, I think we, we faced a, a, a well-balanced uh, well team with a great goaltender that, that played better than us. So he, from his perspective, uh, the Canadians outplayed them um, in, in a balanced way, led by, uh, as he said, a, a great goaltender. And I think... 
um, Sidney Crosby had that that same kind of feeling, but uh, his words, he spent more time uh, talking about mm-hmm. Car- Carey Price. Like I said, game one, he, you know, he was really, really good. I mean, we threw a lot of and we had some quality chances. You know, I think he just, he made some timely saves and, you know, he just played really well. We know he's a great goalie. I don't think it was a matter of trying to play around him, but, you know, he did, uh, you know, he did what, you know, he expected him to do and he gave his, his team a chance uh, to win. And So uh, giving a, a, a chance to win and then it, it required players like Lekkonen, like Petrie, to score those game-winning goals to uh, um, uh, carry the Canadians to victory. Um, while the analysts and, and most commentators were uh, not giving the Canadians any respect, um, Mike Sullivan, uh, head coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins, assures everyone that uh, very sincerely they were giving uh, the Canadians full respect. I don't think it's a trap. Uh, you know, I, listen, I, I said before the series started that we, we had a lot of respect for Montreal and how good they are. And, uh, and I meant that sincerely. You know, th- these guys are all good players. They're NHL players. They've got a lot of young talent on the team that's, that's uh, starting to take a, a, a next step. They've got great leadership uh, uh, with some of their defensemen and, uh, you know, and, and they have an elite goaltender. And so uh, we knew this was going to be a hard series. We, none of us were, uh, I don't think any of us had any, any thought otherwise. We knew it was going to be a hard fought series. We knew we were going to have to play well in order to win. Sullivan says, okay, they have an elite goaltender. They've got some young talent who are on that uh, cusp of, of doing some great things. And then said uh, the leadership that they have uh, on defense. And, and of course, talking specifically about Shea Weber. And, and it was Gordon Miller on the broadcast that said, uh, don't discount the uh, impact that uh, Shea Weber had on that room. Um, so it's Shea Weber that, that uh, supports his team. Um, Carrie, Webb, uh, Carrie Price makes the, the saves. He acts as the defenseman. But uh, Arturi Lekkonen talked about um, the confidence that uh, Price also gives. And then, uh, interestingly enough, Lekkonen's already uh, looking forward to the next series. Well, he gives us a lot of, lot of confidence for sure. I mean, he's, he was outstanding the whole series. And, uh, I mean, today have a, have a shutout in a game like, in a game like this. So it really, it gave us a lot of confidence, uh, in our moving forward for sure. And everybody was kind of counting us off. So, uh, of course it feels good to get to, uh, win this series. And, uh, but it's, uh, it was a one series and now we gotta, we gotta enjoy this for a moment, enjoy this for a moment and, uh, then move on. So enjoy it for a moment, but uh, they're back focused, knowing they're going to be um, underdogs next uh, next series as well. And uh, uh, Claude Julian echoed those words. Uh, so there's no doubt your team gets an opportunity to grow, but uh, we all know that when the, you know the next series start, uh, we're probably going to be playing. We're obviously going to be playing the, the top seed, so uh, we'll have our hands full again. And there you have it, our uh, They Said What segment. Uh, what, what did you think of uh, what was said there, Chris? Well, those are, are great clips that you pulled up for us. And I know that the Penguins are saying that uh, it was specifically Sidney Crosby that, that sounded like he was asked if whether or not they were, uh, did anything different because they were facing Carey Price. I have to think that Carey Price was in their heads even mm-hmm. before the series uh, started. It's like, I'm not doubting that and I'm also thinking now that whether it be the Flyers or whether it be a Tampa Bay Lightning 
just because of Price's performance, the way he played in this series against the Penguins, I'm pretty sure he'll already be in their heads before game one starts on the Tuesday or Wednesday of, of next week because of his elite performance. Like, there's, you know, there's always people like that were doubting if, you know, like like you mentioned ahead of the series, you know, he just won one goalie, just one player in the team, he can't do it all alone. And in this series, he proved that he could do it alone. So I think now, whether it's the Lightning or the Flyers in the next round, Carey Price will be in the in the back of their mind. And I think they're going to try to do something better. They might do that extra pass to uh, try to beat Carey Price. And it's going to be an advantage. When you have Carey Price in goal, I think the Canadians already have a one-thing lead in the game before uh, before it even starts. So, no, But I, I also do agree with... Sorry, I was just going to agree with you to to say that um, you know the the polls have come out the last the player polls have come out the last three years thereabouts, and it's always uh, who do you not want to face uh, in the playoffs? Who would you rather have on your team? Kind of thing, and the answer is always Carey Price. And we know even Montreal fans or Montreal media have mocked that and said, no, nah, Carey Price isn't the goaltender you used to be. Uh, why would why would the players say that? Well, apparently the players know something that uh, the fans and yeah. the media don't know. And, and even, and I know there was a lot of talk on how Price would influence like a short series, but let's, even if it was a seven game series between the Canadians and the Penguins and the Canadians were up three to one, the Penguins didn't like uh, didn't have wouldn't have had a big chance of coming back and winning three games in a row against Carey Price to go on to win the series. So, so uh, as much as Carey Price stole this five game series, he's capable of doing the same thing on uh, on the seven game series. So it's it'll be interesting to see what will happen in the next round. But one thing that always repeats itself, it's been the same thing, what, for 10, 12 years, however long Carey Price has been with the organization, the team will go as far as Carey Price takes them. So mm-hmm. a lot of pressure for, for the goalie. But also great leadership by uh, by Shea Weber, as you mentioned as well. The Carey Price, the Shea Weber, they want to win. So you know that they're doing everything they can, whether it's leading by example, and you could also see it in the dressing room, the, the impact that uh, these two players have on their um, on their teammates. Uh, we're gonna dig into this series in our second segment, but let's do a review of the other series going on in the NHL. We'll begin with a qualifying series in the Eastern Conference. Uh, the Carolina, I was about to say Panthers, but it's the Hurricanes. They swept uh, the Rangers. The Islanders have beaten the Panthers in uh, in four games. The Blue Jackets and the Maple Leafs are tied at two. And boy, on Friday, the Leafs made an impressive comeback to win in wow. overtime yeah. with three unanswered goals and uh, with just under four minutes remaining in regulation. And then with the win in overtime on uh, the, the power play. And I'll be one of those conspiracy theorists. Uh, the power <laughs> play there in overtime, it wasn't done purpose to favor the Leafs. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the qualifying series in the Western Conference, the Chicago Blackhawks, another number 12 team, they upset the Edmonton Oilers in four games. The Arizona Coyotes upset the Predators in four games as well. Uh, Vancouver beat uh, Minnesota in four games. And then Calgary beat the Winnipeg Jets in the four games as well in a series where the Jets had lost a lot of their uh, top 
players, some controversy around that as well. And now if we take a look at the round robin in the Eastern Conference, the Flyers and the Lightning are both 2-0. And, well, the game on Saturday night will determine who will finish first place and the winner of the game will face the Montreal Canadiens. And also on Sunday, it will be a game between the Boston Bruins and the Washington Capitals to determine number three and number four in the round robin. Both those teams haven't won yet uh, since the start of uh, of that mini-tournament. In the Western Conference, Colorado and Vegas are both 2-0, and Saturday's game will determine who will finish number one. And then on Sunday, the Blues and the Stars, who are both 0-2, they'll face off, and the winner will get... uh, We'll finish third in that tournament. So, so Rick, what has been, I guess, your overall appreciation of the qualifying series and round robin so far? Well, it's been um, it's been kind of fun. It, it's happened also so fast. Um, the you know there, there's lots of of little uh, notes. Um, you have uh, you had elimination Friday yesterday, and for the most part, it lived up to uh, its name. Uh, the the Toronto Maple Leafs, with that stunning comeback, were the only team uh, to avoid elimination of the six uh, uh, that were up. Um, it was, uh, you know, you had, uh, you look over on the, the round robin side, you, it's, it's really odd the way uh, different teams are approaching this. Uh, the Boston Bruins have looked terrible, but uh, they've said, uh, their main goal of getting out, they don't care about the seat, seating placement. Uh, all they care about is getting through the round robin uh, without any injuries. Um, uh, whereas Philadelphia is taking a complete uh, opposite view. They, uh, Alain Vigneault said, uh, you know, his, his opportunity to have a top seating and, uh, and dictate the matchups um, he's, you know, he's all in on that. And, uh, so they've been going a bit harder. They lost Michael Raffle, uh, but, uh, they look pretty good. And I know that the Canadians fans are saying, please give us, please give us the flyers, uh, and not the lightning, uh, because I understandably, so the lightning have owned the, uh, the Canadians, but if you've been watching the flyers, uh, they played. Uh, they play pretty physical game, and I think um, in in the uh, the series just finished, the ca- Canadians were able to out physical uh, the Penguins. I don't think they'll be able to do that against the Flyers. So um, I just say, careful what you wish for. Um, the other little note is that uh, I thought it was interesting. Just just uh, an observation. Uh, that the 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 Penguins were such heavy favorites, and it seemed like that the league thought they were heavy favorites too, because when they divided up the hotels, um, all of the round robin, the top uh, seated players in the East, were staying at the X Hotel, the nicer, uh, well, the more modern uh, with a lot of amenities, that hotel. It was Tampa, Boston, Philadelphia, and Washington were there. And I guess the the league was thinking that that the Penguins were moving on because they placed Pittsburgh there (laughs) as well. Uh, with the rest of them in the not so shabby Royal York, it's a it's a beautiful hotel too. But uh, it was just kind of a an interesting little uh, tidbit there. Um, it's it's uh, yeah, I, I, it's it's been enjoyable hockey. Um, 
uh, it's just uh, it's it's really moved quickly as now uh, the te- the uh, matchups are pared down uh, to have uh, a traditional sixteen uh, team playoff. Yeah, and one interesting takeaway from uh, this is we'll see if because uh, I think it's been pretty popular with uh, the fan base as well, like the, this tournament. Uh, it might have to do a little bit with the fact that there was no hockey for four months. But with the NHL looking to get some revenue over the next couple of years, uh, who knows that some type of this format might come in in uh, in, uh, in the future for, for upcoming years. Uh, another, in terms of the in, I guess, in arena experience, the NHL, like they, they, like we knew in advance that watching the games in empty arena would be different than what we've been used to. And I think the NHL is doing a good job with the in arena experience so far for the players and for the uh, television audience. Like the arenas, they look like a, like a video game, like screens mm-hmm. all over the ice. Like they're, they're posting some funny messages on the scoreboard. And while even when Connor McDavid scored the uh, hat trick, there was a league employee that threw some hats <laughs> on the ice to try to make this as much of a as a, a usual as as usual as they as normal I, I should say as they as they can. And the league also tried localizing the experience based on the teams that were on the ice. And whether it was the gold song or, or songs between the whistles, we did see that the league did make an effort. There was some controversy with the Canadians. What a surprise, right? On opening night, the Canadian anthem was an English version and it upset a portion of the fan base because a bilingual version of the anthem wasn't used. And while TVA Sports reported that Jeff Molson put pressure on the Penguins in order for them to play a bilingual version for game number two, which they did. And I don't think that was a difficult conversation for Jeff Molson to have with Mario Lemieux to get that done for her that game. And... Well, I think there was a big deal that was made out of this for uh, out of nothing. In a perfect situation, yes, I believe the anthem would have been played before game number one. But the NHL had organized for that day on August 1st that uh, Michael Bublé performs the Canadian national anthem for every game that day. So his performance wasn't even live. It was recorded, and they just kept replaying the same performance uh, in advance of every game. It was done uh, from Vancouver, if I'm not mistaken. And, well, you know, Canadians fans overreact like we usually uh, do with that. So, so Rick, uh, there was a world record set uh, in, in Edmonton. Why don't you give us some details on that and your evaluation of how the NHL has handled the in-game experience? Yeah, I'll just, um, it, I, I thought, as, as you correctly said, it was much ado about nothing, the, the fuss over the um, um, non-bilingual uh, anthem. And, and the NA, as you said, NHL was in charge of the anthems on day one, on opening day. And it was Michael Buble. I mean, the, the, the Penguins didn't even get to have their own anthem singer. They were, the NHL dictated that, that a Canadian, Michael Buble, would, would sing. And... Uh, and so for um, Jeff Molson to react the way he did, I thought it was a little, a little over the top, a little embarrassing. Um, I'd love to see uh, Jeff Molson get as upset about a 24th uh, place finish as he did about uh, <laughs> this anthem. And because the Penguins uh, go out, as you said, Mario's there. The Penguins have gone out of their way to accommodate the Canadians. And you think back to Valentine, the Valentine's Day game when it was actually French night in 
Pittsburgh, where when you walked in the building, all of the greeters and, and ushers and everything spoke French to, uh, to the Pittsburgh uh, uh, fans. And um, so I, anyway, I, I just thought it was, um, it was a little silly. Um, and, and when it came back to Montreal the, or, or game three for the Montreal home game, uh, there was a, a there was a local flavor. I thought it was really nice that it's the Leafs PA announcer Mike Ross. He made bilingual player announcement announcements when at the beginning of the game. Really nice, nice touch. And I didn't see Jeff Molson thanking him. I didn't see the Montreal media thanking uh, the uh, the Leafs for that uh, or the league. So um, anyway, and 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 that those little extra touches extended to um you had Deanne Bebo um appearing mm-hmm. virtually uh which was great to hear that in yeah. stoppages there was Deanne Bebo uh wonderful really well done by the league um and if you look at uh the other games Jim Cornelison singing on tape for the anthem for best anthem singer in, in the league singing for Chicago you had in Winnipeg you had the Hoosley Ukrainian men's chorus they were tremendous uh and gave that local Winnipeg flavor um I I think they've done a a, a great job and and things like you say in Edmonton uh, with uh, Connor McDavid, uh, the the uh, throwing the hats for his hat trick, and um, f- for the uh, you know the Edmonton fans, my goodness, they have a fifty fifty draw. Canadians do too, uh, but they set a world's record for f- <laughs> collecting five million dollars with a pot of of two and a half million dollars on the fifty fifty. It was so popular they actually had to cut off uh, tickets. Uh, all of that kind of stuff is tremendous, and it shows. As you said, that the Canadian that hockey fans are um, uh, embracing this concept and happy to have hockey back. And in another uh, news around the NHL, the NHL announced that Phase Two of the draft lottery will take place uh, this Monday at six PM Eastern. And with the teams that were eliminated, or that will be eliminated, I should say as well part of the the qualifying series, they'll all have a 12.5% chance of getting the, the first-round pick. And, Rick, that means there's a really good chance that a team like Pittsburgh or Edmonton or Toronto, if they end up losing the series, they win the lottery. And I think that would be, I don't know, I guess I'll call it a bust. Uh, that's a good, perfect word. Um, as much praise as, as I gave uh, the NHL a minute ago, uh, Gary Bettman and the NHL really fumbled this whole uh, draft lottery experience. Uh, Gary was adamant that he wanted an event in in June uh, when, you know, you could have waited till uh, Monday, till August, and had the whole draft lottery and not had this placeholder thing. And um, put now, once the teams have been eliminated, then go through and and throw Detroit into the mix and others. But now, vying for the uh, the number one uh, draft spot, the Alexi Lafreniere, you got Pittsburgh who f- who finished uh, seventh. You you have Edmonton. Um, all of that would be an absolute disaster. Uh, for worst possible scenario for the NHL. Uh, it, it's not what it was was meant for. Can you imagine if Toronto got the the, the first uh, pick uh, or Edmonton? You have Lafreniere joining Drysaitel and and uh, McDavid. That's not what it's supposed to be about. Let's hope 
let's hope that it's Winnipeg or uh, or Minnesota, uh, and and that's the only way that this works out with uh, without a big uh, giant stain on the the face of the uh, the NHL. Yeah, so we're just gonna find out in uh, just a couple of days of how that's gonna turn out. All right, we're gonna take our first break here in the Canadians Connection podcast. Coming up in our next segment, the big topic, we'll tackle the rest of the questions that were posed prior to the start of the series. Stay with us. This is the Canadians Connection podcast on Rocket Sports Radio. Rocket Sports Media is currently recruiting talented, motivated, and committed people to join our team. If you're a student wishing to gain experience, a young professional interested in broadening your credentials, an experienced hockey mind looking for a platform to share your expertise, or a passionate fan looking to contribute to our publications by connecting with fellow hockey fans, we want to hear from you. If you are bright, loyal, passionate and willing to dedicate yourself to a remarkable team, visit allhabs.net and click the Join Our Team tab today. In every city around the world, sports fans flock to popular watering holes to share a few pints, some good grub, and to cheer for their team. Think your favorite sports bar deserves to be recognized? Or are you traveling to a new place and need to find the perfect spot to watch a game? HockeyPub.com is the answer. Find out where the best spots are in your city to eat, drink, and meet fellow fans. HockeyPub.com Want the latest Habs news with game previews, reviews, and highlights? How about full coverage of development camps and special events? Looking to follow the Laval Rocket more closely this season? Perhaps you'd like to learn more about team prospects. Would you like a place to socialize with hockey fans all over the world? We've got what you're looking for at allhabs.net, the place where you'll find everything you need to be the most informed and connected Habs fan around. Allhabs.net. All right, welcome back to episode 96 of the Canadian Connection Podcast on Rocket Sports Radio. I'm Chris G. You can find me on Twitter at ChrisHabs360. And with me in studio is the president and founder of Rocket Sports, Rick Stevens. And you can follow him at uh, AllHabs on uh, Twitter. And you can follow Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And visit the website at CanadiansConnection.com. And don't forget, you can always text us anytime at the Rocket Sports text line at 5853-ROCKET. In the first segment, we tackled two of the questions that were posed in last week's episodes by Joseph and Rick. But we all know them. We really know that they had more than just two questions. There was a lot more questions than they had than just two of them. And we'll begin with the first one. Uh, the next one on the list is, can the Canadians defend two elite centers? And Rick, did the Canadians manage to do that? They did. Uh, but there's like a little asterisk beside <laughs> beside that. Um, and the answer, can they uh, defend? Uh, well, not without Carey Price. Uh, because uh, it didn't matter... Uh, how the the uh, Canadians tried to defend in in the first three games, the Pens were dominant. And when you look at things like expected goals, 
Um, even to, to game three, uh, the top three lines of the, the pins were dominant. And um, that game three should have been an absolute route uh, for the Penguins. And it wasn't. That's because of Carey Price. So uh, now um, Claude Julien changed up his tactics. He made some line changes. And we'll talk about the, the line changes uh, a little bit later. Uh, he made that for game four. Uh, and he uh, made a, a conscious effort to slow down uh, the Penguins and limit the shots, and, and we saw the shot total go way down in Game 4, and so it was more of a team effort uh, to defend uh, not only the, the two elite centers, but uh, those top three lines of the Penguins. Uh, so a little bit of a team effort for Game 4. Uh, Carey Price, first three games for sure. Yeah, for sure. Carey Price was a big factor, and and coming into the series, there was, always, there was that big debate on who would be the number two center to defend against Evgeny Malkin. And while well, Crosby and Malkin ended up having little impact in the, in the series, Crosby finished with two goals, one assist. Uh, Malkin with, uh, with one assist, and he went minus three. They both played almost uh, 21 minutes of, uh, of play as well. And we'll talk about the work of Dano and... Suzuki and the rest of them when we talk about uh, the lines. Uh, the next question was a, a quote that Zach Aston Reese made prior to the start of the series when he was asked by uh, by the media on how to defend the number one, the Montreal's number one line, and he didn't know who was on that line. And when I first read that, that quote from Aston Reese, the first thing I asked myself is, Wait, who is Aston Reese? No, no, I'm <laughs> kidding. Uh, but seriously, like, like when I read the quote and I heard the quote, like I, I, I really felt like he really didn't know who the reporter was referring to, and I don't think it was intentional for it to be a, a, a shot towards the Canadians. And as we mentioned earlier, I don't think this was bulletin board material for the Canadians. I think the fact, like Carey, men- Carey Price mentioned after Game 4, that the fact that no one expected them to win the series served as motivation for for the team. Yeah, that was I agree with I agree with you. It was it was that was motivating. I don't think uh Zach Aston Reese and I think it was as you said an innocent uh little comment. Uh he's focused uh, he's not got his line's not going to be matched up against the Canadians top line anyway. So he's focused on on his matchup, on the matchup of his line and and uh so it wasn't a factor. It wasn't a bulletin board comment at all. Now the next question that was uh, that was on the list is: Can the Canadians take advantage of a goalie controversy in uh, Pittsburgh? And Rick, we ended up seeing both goalies uh, from the the Penguins during the series. Tristan Jerry is is the better goalie, and I said that last week. Um, but I understand why Mike Sullivan would would start with uh, with Matt Murray. He's he's the guy that brought uh, the Penguins two cups. And has that playoff experience, uh, the post postseason experience, um, and uh, so it 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 made sense. I think the only thing um, that, uh, from my perspective, is that uh, Matt Murray's leash wasn't short enough. I think uh, that Sullivan waited one game too long to make the switch to Jerry. Jerry was obviously uh, very good in in Game Four, and you saw like the you know uh, Matt Murray wasn't wasn't very good in any of the three games he played. 
that that uh, Petri goal uh, should have never gone in from the, the awkward angle on the goal line. Game three. Yeah. Um, there was there was a, a save that um, in the third period um, that uh, uh, Matt Murray made on uh, Thomas Tatar and. Uh, people made a big deal out of it, and I understand that he wasn't looking very good, and and he didn't really look good on that that save either. But Thomas Tatar just kind of fired it into him, um, and they were trying to build up his confidence, but uh, didn't really take. And and uh, and yeah, I think the Canadians e- exploited that uh, goaltender matchup. Yeah, they did, and, and obviously, like whether it would have been Jerry or Murray, like in this series, they were unfortunate that we're comparing them to the way the Carey Price played. So they well, were coming yeah. out as so they're coming out as losers even before they put their like their their feet on the ice, the skates on the ice. Uh, the and I also understand why Sullivan started with Murray as well. The coaches they go with. Uh, players or goalies that they're comfortable with, and I'm sure that's going to come up later when we talk about the Canadians' lines. But we even saw it in uh, Edmonton uh, in game number one for the Oilers when Dave Tippett put uh, Michael uh, put Smith in goal, where you know he uh, I don't think he was the best goalie that Edmonton had this season. But you know there was a past relationship, and there was probably more trust between the Tippett and uh, and that goalie. The next question that was asked last week are the special teams. Will they be a difference in the series? And boy, like, was it there for the Penguins to exploit for the Canadians, but they did fully take advantage of it as well. In game, especially game one and two, Montreal, like, in discipline, and Penguins ended up capitalizing only once in 12 power plays through the first. Uh, two games. In game three, Canadians got into discipline trouble in uh, at the start of the game in the first period and while the Penguins capitalized with, with two power play goals and then the Canadians stayed out of the box. They played 5-on-5 five five, and they were able to make the three-goal comeback uh, to uh, to win that game and that was probably like the turning point of that series when, when the Canadians surmounted that uh, three-goal deficit. On the Canadians' end, on the power play, 0 for 12. Like, I'm not sure what's with Claude Jurier uh, postseason with his teams. The same thing with, uh, with the Bruins uh, years back where they really struggled in the, in the power play in the postseason, but not even one power play goal. And on the PK, the Canadians finished at 82.4%. They allowed three goals on the 17 opportunities. There's a... Um, uh, there's a saying that the the addition of the power play and the penalty kill should be at least 100% for them to be considered at a good pace, at a good place. So for the Canadians, it isn't because it's below it. And Rick, I think the fact that the Capitals, sorry, the Capitals, <laughs> the Penguins didn't capitalize is what I was trying to say on the special teams really hurt their chances and Montreal gave them the opportunity to to do it. With With all of that firepower that the Penguins have, and um, and you mentioned how uh, undisciplined the, the Canadians were. A uh, couple of bench miners in the same game. You had Deneau taking multiple penalties, who is uh, one of the penalty killers. You had Armia taking multiple uh, penalties. And uh, again, a penalty killer, Duran taking uh, multiple penalties. Um, this could have been disastrous. 
uh, if uh, the Penguins' power play had been uh, on track. The, the Habs won despite their poor special teams play. The, there, there's just no question about that. Uh, the power play, uh, I don't know. Uh, Claude Julien was pretty proud of spending all these months putting together a new power play scheme, and <laughs> it looked awful. Zero for 12. And um, I don't remember who tweeted it, but... Uh, the mentioned that the Canadians are on a zero for 33 run zero in 33 opportunities dating back to February 18th. The last power play goal, the, um, Montreal scored was by Nick Suzuki on February 18th against Detroit. That's awful. And it's shocking that the Canadians came through this series, uh, without having, uh, um, uh, um, at least contributions on the power play. And Rick, the Canadians won the advance, so we'll keep it positive. The good thing about the power play is it didn't allow any goals like they did twice against the Leafs in the <laughs> exhibition game. So that's the silver lining out of this uh, right. the special team uh, discussion. Well, uh, speaking of Claude Julien, that was the next question. It was related to coaches. Which head coach will have more of an impact on the series? And Rick, your evaluation of that? Um, Claude Julien um, had some questionable decisions about lineup uh, uh, personnel choices and those kinds of things. Uh, but the decision that he made partway through great game three to change up his lines, going away from that line that has been together for two years, the top line of Danelle Gallagher and Tatar, for him to make that decision to break that up, um, that was a great decision, and and it was a turning point because my goodness, the new lines uh, had a, a a really positive uh, effect in uh, Game Four. Uh, for Sullivan, as I mentioned, I think his mistake uh, was not making the the goaltender change uh, a game early. Yeah, I gotta give, like you said, there were some roster decisions that I didn't agree or understand with that Julian really made. But if you also if you look at the players that both these coaches had to play, uh, they had on the roster to strategize to win the series. It's uh, there's no way I could give an advantage to Sullivan on uh, coming out as the as out coaching Julian in the series because Julian with a team with less experience. Uh, like if even if we compare, not only the playoff experience, the Penguins that core group of players have won Stanley Cup, so they know what it takes to win the Stanley Cup. And Julian's team, like I know they originally asked uh, Tortorella about, uh, what was the quote, uh, being dumb and they don't know how to play or something like that, something along those lines. Don't know any different, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it looks like uh, Claude Julian kind of mimicked that, but with <laughs> cleaner words. But it seemed that's what the Canadians were. They just went there and, hey, just go uh, go play. And like you mentioned, those the line changes that he made in game number three, and the, the capsule game number four seemed to have created um, a spark in the, in the series. And we'll, we'll tackle what I just had, wanted to say a little bit later on. <laughs> Let's go to the next question. Uh, will the bubble format play a role in the series? And in terms of injuries, so the Canadians only had one injury in the series. Uh, it was actually out of the Penguins don't believe they got any injuries either during the series as well, was uh, Jake Evans when he got into got hit into the boards during game number three. Uh, so no injuries on the Pittsburgh side. Uh, 
there was also some questions at the beginning of, I guess, phase four when when the game started playing around the quality of the ice. Uh, since the the Canadians, uh, for the first three games, were playing the last game of the day on the ice, and but I think as the tournament went on, like the, the ice, the quality of the ice wasn't becoming a factor. Uh, the league seemed to be doing a good job with uh, with the the quality of the ice, and. On Friday, Julian did mention that it showed for both teams that they played four games in uh, in seven days. So maybe that's the only effect of this tournament that might have, the condensed schedule. On the other hand, there's no traveling in between games. But uh, so far, Rick, in terms of the, the bubble format, I don't think that it's had a significant role in the series. Well, the, the bubbles uh, has held and, and there have been uh, no positive tests. And even with the Canadians, uh, you know, with uh, both uh, Kulak and, and Ouellette uh, testing positive earlier, uh, there's been no additional uh, outbreak at all. And so uh, the, the protocol and the, the, the bubble uh, has held and, and uh, credit to uh, the NHL uh, for that. Um, I, th- I think that the only thing is, uh, that, uh, in, in every press conference, no matter what the team, uh, whether it's, uh, uh, the, the, uh, any, any of the East teams, uh, playing in Toronto, they have, uh, mentioned the, the poor ice conditions and that, uh, pucks have been bouncing. And, uh, if there is an advantage, uh, that's going to go against the skilled teams, against the Edmontons, against the Pittsburghs. Um, and, uh, so I, I think that's the only thing that, uh, has been a factor. Now, maybe that's going to get better as there's fewer games played. Uh, but it's, it's been a little bit of a, a concern, uh, in the, uh, in the opening rounds here. So those were the questions that were posed, uh, ahead of the first series. And now there's some new questions that came out of the series after the series played itself out. And I would say, like the, the biggest the storyline that came out of that series is what is happening with with Max Domi, who, regardless of the line changes that were done, Rick Max Domi remained the the center on the fourth line. What are your thoughts on the whole Max Domi situation? Well, I know that there's all kinds of free advice on on Twitter and Facebook about where Max Domi should play. He should be on on the wing of the second line. He should be here. He should be there. He should be the other where. Um, right now, um, I agree with Claude Julien that Max Domi isn't capable of playing top six. Um, I don't know what's going on there. Uh, he just, to me, he doesn't seem himself. And I know part of that, and uh, part of that is uh, the line mates he's with and the ice time he's given. I, I, no question about that. But even beyond that, uh, he, he I don't know if it's that his conditioning isn't there, uh, whether he didn't come to uh, training camp um, uh, fully prepared, uh, or if it's just the uh, the, that week of, of missed training camp days that, uh, you know, he hasn't caught up to, to the other players yet. Um, you know, Max Domi is in a, in, in a contract. He's looking for a long-term contract. The Canadians, I don't think are, are, uh, necessarily excited to offer him a, a long-term contract. Uh, but it's, um, yeah, I think it's more about, 
what uh, Domi is capable of doing at this point. And now that might change as we go along. You know, he might find his legs. He might find uh, his timing. Um, he, you know, if if this round against Pittsburgh has been his training camp, he might be uh, ready for a bigger role uh, in in the first round of the playoffs. We'll see. But um, I'm not as critical, surprisingly. I'm not as critical uh, of Claude Julian uh, about the way he's used Max Tomey so far. So we're just going to rec- record that portion and just keep replaying <laughs> it for every week, repeat it over and over and over, okay? <laughs> no, but seriously, for, uh, for, for Max Tomey, uh, at the start of the series, Claude Julian mentioned that he wanted to keep a balanced four lines, and I, I, I kind of understood the strategy behind it because when the Canadians in the first two games were the road team, Mike Selvin would have been able to decide which centers to throw out there. So the four centers that the Canadians have now in their center line are the team's four best centers that they could put out there. So by spreading them out over the four lines, it always gives Code Julien like a, one of them that, um, that he could trust. Where I, I kind of started thinking, okay, like, there's probably more to this, was... In the third game, when Julien shuffled all the lines, but there was no change on the fourth line. Max Domi remained there on the fourth line. So that's when I seriously started questioning uh, that something was up. Max Domi still gets a, um, a power play time. He's been averaging 13-11 uh, so far in the, in that series. But I st- still, I don't know, something is st- Sounds funny when the team's leading score last season, so talking about 2018-19, is suddenly on the the fourth line. And it also depends. Does Max Domi only want to play center? Is he willing to move to the wing? Because right now, if he wants to play center, there's no room for him to uh, to move up. Rick, I have a pop quiz for you. All right. So... Um, who so Max Domi in 2018-19 was a team's leading scorer with 72 points. Who was the last Canadian player to get at least 72 points in a season? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I off the top of my head, I don't know who that is. Um, but I would, I would. Um, I, I think I would ask the question whether Max Domi is a 72-point player or is <laughs> is he more of the type of player that we've seen this past season? And I think uh, that's, a, that's a, a good debate to have. Yeah, and the answer to my question is uh, Alex Kovalev, ah. 84, in 2007-2008. So what is that, 50, uh, over 10 years ago? So it's crazy. All right. Um, let's talk about the Canadians' new lines that they made. So essentially the difference of what uh, Claude Julien made is he just moved the centers around. So Dano was moved from the first line down to the third line, and Kotkaniemi was bumped up to the second line center, and Suzuki was bumped up to, uh, to the first line. And Rick, I was a little bit uh, surprised I've been surprised on the way that Claude Julien has used Nick Suzuki and Jesperi Kotkaniemi in the series. So Claude Julien, at the start, before the series started, you know, he made it clear that he's coaching to win the series, not 
coaching's not making decisions for the development of the players. And he had that mindset. And regardless, he gave Suzuki a, an important role on the second line to start off the series. And now he's on the top line. He gave Kotkaniemi an important role as a third line center. And now the lines, the way that they are, that were in game, end of game three and game four, is the lines that I would have been expecting next season or the year after that. It's, it's not the lines I would have been expecting uh, right now for the playoff series. Yeah, that, that, as I said earlier, that top line has been together for so long uh, and um, um, Claude Julien has, has leaned on so heavily on that uh, line that you might have expected uh, them to be uh, more or less untouchable. Um, but also, uh, that line uh, wasn't a factor at all, in which is, which is odd to say. Um, you know, Tatar, uh, Dano, uh, Gallagher... And Domi, those are the four top scorers for for Montreal, and they didn't they didn't supply a single goal for the uh, against Pittsburgh. Uh, that's really that's really odd. Um, you know, you you think of of who who was going to be the goal scorers, who was going to be the the offensive production guys. Uh, Domi, Dano, uh, Tatar, Gallagher, Armia throw in there. None of them were a factor. Uh, in that nope. it was it was uh, Byron and Lekkonen and Kakinyemi and Suzuki, and so uh, Julian uh, reacted uh, and to to uh, spark uh, Gallagher and Tatar a bit. He puts uh, the dynamic Suzuki there, uh, rewards Kakinyemi. Kakinyemi hit everything that moved. Uh, he was a physical force, uh, and um, and and putting him with uh, Armia, uh, two guys who are willing to go to the net, and and Druan would have been the trigger man on on that second line. You understand the thinking there, and it makes sense. Uh, Dano as a, as a defensive center, that's where you want him on the third line. That's where his yeah. his natural uh, uh, effectiveness should where he be. Belongs. Yeah. Uh, and put him with uh, Lekkonen and Byron, two guys he's already has great chemistry with from the penalty kill. Um, and that line was was terrific. So uh, you know, I like it. I I think um, it was a it was a bold decision, but it was the right decision by Claude Julien. And let's uh, well, let's and Claude Julien, like at the end of the, of the series on on Friday, he he said that if it wasn't for the contribution of the youngsters, and specifically talking about Suzuki and Kakanyan, because that's what he was asked about. He said out that if it wasn't for the contribution of those two players, he didn't think that he'd be standing there talking about a victory. So, yes, he did mention that Price mentioned that Price played outstanding. So he did uh, acknowledge that at the beginning, but he also did acknowledge the role that those two players have had, and that's great news for the Canadians for now and uh, for the future. That these guys have shown that they have the potential to be uh, impact uh, players. Uh, Let's uh, move on to, to the next uh, topic. Other on on the defensive side of the game as well, there was I don't know. I guess they got baptized to the big three, uh, the the pairing of well the pairing the trio of Shea Weber, Ben Sherrod, and uh, Jeff Petrie. We knew ahead of the series that these three defensemen would get a lot of ice time because they're the that's a defensive core. After that, it gets questionable, and they delivered. Petrie played. Petrie and Weber played an average 26 minutes a game. Shiarot uh, 24 and a half. 
And Petri contributed offensively with a pair of game winners. Weber as well, two goals, two assists, finished with plus five. Shirat uh, with two assists and finished with a, a plus six. And even in game three, when the Canadians were protecting the one goal lead, uh, was it Ben Shirat and Weber? They pretty much on the ice for the entire last, was it four minutes, four minutes to try yeah. to protect the leads. So, so Rick, the, uh, that trio also did their part in contributing into victory. For sure. Uh, look at game three, six points from Weber, Petrie, Sherratt. Um, the fact that, that I, that they were so physical, uh, Weber and Sherratt, I'm thinking of specifically, they hit everything in front of the net. They punished, uh, Malkin, they punished Crosby, they punished Gensel. Um, it was, uh, I don't think the Penguins were expecting such a, a physical, uh, punishing game from, uh, the Montreal defense and Petrie with, with his uh, two-game-winning goal uh, heroics. And, you know, it might be uh, sacrilegious in Montreal to call these guys the new big three, given uh, who the big three uh, <laughs> were, but uh, Stat Center had uh, posted that, um, that uh, Jeff Petrie joins J.C. Tremblay, Guy Lapointe, Serge Savard, and Chris Chelios as the only Canadians defenseman in Canadians history with multiple game-winning goals in a single playoff year. So uh, maybe there is something to this. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. And since we're speaking about the, the defensemen, let's talk about the three defensemen that played as well that we haven't spoken about. With. So we had Brett Kulak, who completed the, the pairing with Jeff Petrie. And then we had the third pairing of defense where uh, that's the pairing that I thought there was uh, heading into the series where it was unclear on who would get uh, those jobs and it ended up being David Ouellette and uh, Victor Mete. So Ouellette was playing on the left side, Victor Mete was playing on the right side. And and Mete, like, up to the last game, up to game four, he, he struggled. And I, I found it weird. So let's say if... With the fact that they went with Ouellette and Mete, I'm even surprised that they played Ouellette on the left and Mete on the right. Last time that Mete played regularly on the right side with the Canadians, it ended up sending him a trip to Laval to to go, to join the the Rocket. And and Xavier Ouellette, like in Laval over the last two years, he spent a lot of time playing on the right side. So Mete is not comfortable on the right side. Wallet has had more experience on the right side than they were in uh, they were inversed. Personally, ahead of the series, I would have preferred if if a Kale Fleury or a Noah Julson uh, would have gotten some uh, an opportunity to to win those jobs and and play, but they didn't get the chance. I guess you could say Fleury got a little bit of a chance at the preseason game against sorry the exhibition game against the Toronto Maple Leafs. But besides that, it's this is the top six that Claude Junior is going with, until he has a good reason to, in his mind, to uh, to change them. Rick, your thoughts on uh, the rest of the, the 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 defensive unit? Yeah, I'd have to agree with you that um, uh, Kulak had his ups and downs. Uh, it's, at times he looked good, at times he was uh, he was beat. But he uh, to to be playing a little higher in the, the lineup uh, on the second pairing than than he should. Uh, I thought he, uh, for the most part, held his own. Uh, but uh, it, Willette and and Meta really uh, struggled. Uh, they were 
you know, they were beaten. It was pretty uh, um, uh, typical to see Willette swimming on the ice uh, and out of the play a, a lot. It was a real adventure anytime those two were on the ice. And um, they there, there's a point where um, the next opponent, whether it be the Flyers or the Lightning, are really going to have a chance to exploit uh, those two if they remain. And, and I agree, agree with you that... Uh, uh, there's there's an opportunity for uh, Juleson or Fleury. Um, Victor Mata doesn't look good on his uh, on his uh, wrong side and and hasn't in the past and and certainly didn't uh, in this series. So uh, maybe we'll see um, we'll see uh, uh, some changes there. A lot of uh, discussion as well on the Canadians uh, fourth line. So for Domi's wingers. Uh, the series started off with uh, Dale Weiss to his left and uh, Jordan Wheel to his right. Uh, Dale Weiss ended up playing the entire series, but uh, Jordan Wheel was replaced after Game 2. He was replaced by Jake Evans in Game 3. And then Belzeal started Game 4, replacing uh, Jake Evans, who got uh, injured. So I thought those were some interesting decisions uh, by uh, by the coach. Uh, on the positive uh, note, I, I tweeted this out during the game on uh, on Friday. Alex Brazil, who got the call for game number four. Well, first of all, I wasn't shocked that Brazil got the call for game number four because Kuldria kind of hinted into that direction in the exhibition game when uh, Brazil was a number 13 forward. I felt there was better available options, such as, I don't know, Ryan Paling or Charles Ludon. Uh, obviously, Jake Evans got the first crack uh, before Alex Bilzil on uh, on that one. Alex Bilzil, he hadn't played since December, and before that, he was injured. Yes, he had just came back from concussion. So Bilzil was actually on an unfortunate streak where he had gotten injured the last three games he had played, and so he, you know, good. It was a good job he didn't get injured on uh, Friday's uh, game. When it, in regards to Weiss or Jordan Wheel, I would have expected Weiss to be out of the lineup before Jordan Wheel because I'm not sure how this works. How can you go from being on the fourth line and on the power play unit and then you're the first man out? Like it's, I don't understand how that's possible. Where Dale Weiss, he has no other role in sense where he doesn't play in the penalty kill, he doesn't play on the, on the power play. So... Rick, how would you evaluate those roster decisions by the coach? Yeah, I think there's a, a big uh, uh, loss there uh, for the coach. Uh, a negative mark. Um, I don't. I don't understand why Weiss is in in the lineup. Uh, Dale Weiss used to have pretty good speed at one time. Now he's uh, you know he can't keep up with with Domi and uh, with the pace of play and and uh, uh, didn't look good uh, at all. Um, the Belzeal was, um, you know, was was that just so that uh, the Canadians marketing people could have a nice story to tell? Um, I thought it was was particularly curious that uh, all day you saw the the Belzeal stories on Canadians.com, and then uh, Arturi Lekkinen scores the game winning goal, and and uh, so he meets the media after uh, after an. Uh, Amazing victory last night, and who's sitting next to him? Paul Wilson sends Belzeal. out Belzeal. That was that was silly. That was really silly. And as Eric Ingalls said, I mean, you got to like, uh, you know, it's a nice story and and everything uh, for Belzeal to have so much experience in the ECHL and at 28 makes his NHL debut. But uh, put 
put him in if you want that to tell that story early season uh, in a game that's meaningless, not at this stage. Uh, and yeah, he didn't he didn't look good. Uh, Eric Ingalls said he didn't look comfortable at all out there. Uh, didn't really belong, and uh, let's hope that other decisions are made. Jake Evans is the guy who who uh, deserves a spot. We don't know the extent of his injury. Uh, let's hope he can slot back in. If not, then, um, you know, why isn't, as you said, wheeling uh, a wheel back in, uh, Jordan wheel back in, or paling? Um, when you see Nick Robertson, what he's doing with the, with the uh, uh, Leafs, um, uh, paling a uh, can't be any worse than uh, than Weiss uh, or or uh, Belzeal. Um, it's it's very it's it's very odd. Yeah, but Dale Weiss, Jordan Will, it's players that the coach trusts. Like he's he's relied on them, so he it's his first natural instinct to go back to those players. So we'll see uh, how that goes. He seems to have trust in Jake Evans as well. So if Evans is healthy, I I assume that he'll be the one to get the first crack in the in the next series. All right, we're going to take our final break here in the Canadian Connection podcast. Up next, we'll look at some reactions to the series from uh, social media. Stay with us. You're listening to the Canadian Connection podcast on Rocket Sports Radio. The Canadian's Connection is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media, digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. Their mission is to build a worldwide network of sports fans who are informed, engaged, entertained, and connected. Learn more about RSM, its team, and its portfolio of brands at rocketsportsmedia.com. I bet you enjoy sporting your best Habs jerseys, dressing up your kids and pets in the cutest Habs gear, and showing off your decked-out hockey cave or fan ink. Well, don't just show your friends, show your Habs. The team at All Habs wants you to boast your finest pictures for our global network of Montreal Canadiens fans. Include the hashtag ShowYourHabs when posting your fan photos on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Then log on to ShowYourHabs.com to see your entries, along with photos and posts from Habs fans all over the world. A proud member of the Rocket Sports Media Network. If you're a business owner looking for the perfect platform to reach a targeted audience of customers, Rocket Sports Media is the solution. Our global hockey community provides unmatched social media reach to an attentive demographic of sports and entertainment fans. We can provide visibility to your company, helping you to engage and leverage this prime group of potential clientele. In addition, we also offer sponsorship opportunities for fan events and featured areas of website content, giving you name and logo recognition. Visit rocketsportsmedia.com to contact us regarding this unique marketing opportunity. For the most trusted source of news, analysis, and features about the Montreal Canadiens, their affiliates, and their prospects, log in to allhabs.net, your year-round resource for anything Habs-related. That's allhabs.net. All right, welcome back. Episode 96 of the Canadians Connection podcast on Rocket Sports Radio. I'm Chris Jean. You can find me on Twitter at ChrisHabs360. And with me in studio is the uh, president and founder of Rocket Sports. You can follow him on, 
all Habs on the Twitter, and you can also uh, follow Habs Connection on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit our website at CanadianConnection.com, and you can also text us on the Rocket Sports text line at 585-3-ROCKET. So definitely on um, on Friday, once game number four was in the books and the Canadians advanced, social can, Habs social media, whether Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, they all blew up. And that whole dilemma, whether the Canadians should go for Lafreniere or whether they should try to win, it all went, I should say, it, it, it went away. Now, obviously, that conversation is over now. The conflicted fans, I think now it's settled. Everybody wants to see the Canadians win at this at this point. And that's what I noticed on the Twitter since the end of Game 4. Rick, you were able to to look around on social media as well, now on Facebook page, and what was the feeling over there? Well, and the uh, official All Habs uh, fan page on Facebook, and if you're looking for it, uh, we, there's well over 40,000 uh, fans who are, are uh, 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 who have liked the page and who are members, uh, just look for All Habs. Go to Facebook, search for All Habs, all one word, and uh, like the page, uh, follow it, and and uh, you can join in the conversation there. And and the 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 amount of engagements we're getting there is uh, is astronomical. Uh, Habs fans are back, uh, and I think uh, you're right. There's the odd comment about. Um, you know, uh, Habs fans saying they they uh, wished that they had the opportunity to pick for pick Lafreniere, and that would be uh, franchise changing. Uh, but uh, I would say that ninety nine percent of Habs fans are all in now on this. Uh, uh, that now that the Canadians have officially made the playoffs, uh, they're all in and uh, are going to be supporting their team and following along. And while you're doing that, make sure that you're reaching out to us on social media, whether it be uh, Instagram, whether it be Facebook, whether it be Twitter, or if you have something to say at any time, our Rocket Sports text line is open 24 hours a day, and it is 585-3-ROCKET, 585-3-ROCKET. Now, we have to keep in mind the Canadians had an 87.5% chance, if they would have lost, of not getting Alexis Lafreniere. And I think the fact, even prior to the start of the series, whether it be Mark Bergevin, when you're talking about Romanov or about the youngsters as well, they're saying just the experience of being with the team in the playoffs, that they'll get a lot out of it. And I think for players that like we mentioned earlier, like Nick Suzuki and Jesperi Kotkaniemi, regardless of what happens in in round one of the playoffs, I think in terms of their development, uh, it's just a win of what's happening right now in this run for uh, for the Canadians. Uh, Rick, before we sign off, why don't you tell us uh, how about our listeners about how they can find the different podcasts of uh, Rocket Sports Radio? Well, in addition to uh, reaching out to us uh, on social media, go to our website, allhabs.net, allhabs.net, and you'll get uh, the game previews, the game recaps. Uh, If you missed any of the action, uh, if you're late to the party, go there and, and take a look at... Uh, at those articles, uh, Chris, you've got a Habs notepad coming out 
uh, on Monday, and uh, uh, fans will want to want to take a look at that. Uh, as far as our podcasts, we have uh, two podcasts. Uh, that are are uh, hosted and produced by credential journalists, and they are this one, the Canadians Connection, and it comes out every Saturday uh, and uh, available for you. And every Tuesday, uh, the podcast I do with uh, uh, Amy Johnson is called the Press Zone, and we've had some great guests. We've got some great guests coming up this week as well, and you're going to want to uh, listen to that. So on your favorite podcast app, search for Canadians Connection, search for uh, the Press Zone, subscribe to both. And you'll get them. Uh, every you won't miss a, a, an episode. And uh, this week's uh, Habs Notepad will include my prediction for the Canadians' upcoming series, whether it's against the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Philadelphia Flyers. So, just one favor: if uh, don't go look at what my prediction was for the Canadians against Penguin series, <laughs> just we'll leave it at that. Because <laughs> you know, I may have been off. It happens once, once in a blue moon. Once in a blue moon, it happens. Uh, Rick, it was great to be back with you again this week. Great having you, Chris. I was glad you're in the in the chair. It's great discussion today. Uh, pleasure to be here. So my name is uh, Chris G. You can follow me on Twitter at chrishabs360. Joseph will be back next Saturday with Rick, and they'll be talking about the Canadians in round one action. I'm already looking forward to it. It'll probably be game two or game three of that series by the time the the next episode comes up. So I want to thank you, everybody, for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Click subscribe so you never miss an episode of Canadians Connection. Visit allhabs.net for breaking news about the Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> <laughs>